0: They will, they will run, run and not, not grow weary. They will, they will walk, walk and, and not faint.
1: And all God's people said, Amen. And when you walk in belief, you absolutely walk in belief, that's the way you live. And you're going to be hearing a lot about that today. In fact, this week, on Wednesday night, we're going to, have, we're going to begin what's called the Truth Project. Some of you have been through it, but this is for the whole church. We're all going to meet together. 6.30, we also have supper beforehand, dogs and burgers. (laughs) And uh, you can come and get one of those if you want to. I was telling them in the first service since I've gotten back, I'm craving cheeseburgers. People in Europe don't have a clue how to eat. They don't have the right kind of grease. It just helps it slide down easier or something. I just don't. But we're going to have that, and then it's 6:30 till 8. And the reason it's 6:30 to 8, the last 25 minutes is going to be a discussion time. that you can stay for. If you have children, you don't have to. But we'd, love, we'd encourage you to to talk about what we're going to see. Truth Project. It's going to be how the nation has has what we've done with truth. But really, not us. But from the beginning of time. Remember, Jesus came in John 16. I came to bear witness to the truth. It's almost like he says, "You wouldn't know it if you saw it." And how far we have come from the truth. It'll bring us back to square one. So I encourage you to come. No cost to it. It is a DVD series. I have seen it. We all will be here. It's going to be a wonderful time. I just—it's a great time for the summer to come and all of us together and just see how far off it's. A, it's a Christian worldview. Lets us know where we've gotten off. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, "Did you hear anything he just said?" Find about five people around you. You might ask them if they're coming Wednesday night. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Well, you guys, some some of you may know, I'm Patrick Newbill. I am the new children's pastor. I've been here all of about a week and a half now. And, uh, well, I I know we've got this VBS coming up very soon. And we're supposed to have a Lifeway representative here because I don't have a whole lot of details on it. And uh, I'm... uh, (laughs) Excuse me,
3: Uh, I'm up here. (laughs) Are you our LifeWay representative? Yes, sir. I'm Harlan J. MacDonald III, Esquire to the power of Cube. <laughs> and I'm your uh, representative from LifeWay. Fantastic. Well, all right, can you tell us something about VBS, such as oh, uh, when it is? VBS? Uh, what is VBS? Voracious Bowel Syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> You want me to tell you about what's going on? Yes, yes. Oh, when uh, when well, is we VPS? We Vacation Bible School this summer, uh, and it is uh, this summer. This summer. All right, can the, you can work with me here. Oh, you want more details? Talk to me. This summer, 08. <laughs> you're killing me, Arlen. Oh, sorry. This summer, uh, let me look at my notes. June 16th through the 20th of this summer. That's when, oh, quick googly moogly, I dropped my notes. <laughs> Can somebody there in the front row pick those up and just help me through this? (laughs) Um, Well, (laughs) Harlan, I don't know if you can remember it all, but can you tell us who can come? Um, um, Really foxy senior citizen ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
2: (laughs) Do the notes say anything else?
3: I don't know. I don't have them. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> <laughs> the notes say that it is for kindergarteners to finish kindergarteners finished kindergarten. History.
2: Ah, very good, very good. Alright, well what about preschoolers?
3: Can preschoolers come? No sir, we don't like them, they smell. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Actually, the notes do say that if you are a volunteer are in BBS, a preschooler is welcome to come.
3: With, well, isn't that convenient? <laughs> All right, dare I ask what time it starts? Sure, you can ask. Uh, I believe that kiddos can drop off their parents at Wayne's house at 4.30 in the morning. (laughs) You might want to check that. (laughs) Come, come, come. We're fine.
2: (laughs) I'm drowning up here. Help me, girl.
4: Okay, VBS is June 16th through the 20th, um, 2008. It's from nine to noon on Monday through Friday. Kids that have finished kindergarten through fifth grade are welcome to come, and preschoolers, as long as their parents are volunteering, are welcome too. Um, for registration, we have online registration or we have a paper registration at the check-in desk if you decide to do it. Online, it's at um, HoffmantownKids.com. And let's see, um, family night will be Friday night after the final day at VBS. It'll be at 5.30, and we're gonna have a luau and illusion show and all kinds of fun stuff for everybody in the family. Um, But everybody's welcome to come to that, whether you help in VBS or not, you're still welcome to come. Um, We are ramping up right now and are officially ready to sign up about 100 volunteers to make this thing pull off successfully. So you can sign up to volunteer at the children's check-in desk at the west
2: end of the building. Fantastic. And guys, I am sort of new here to Hoffman Town, but from what I hear, VBS is is a really big ordeal. And as I've watched video also of the not-so-extreme makeover, I saw how this church really pulled together. People from all ages, from kids to senior citizens, all joined in. And when she said 100 volunteers, she's hoping that that's all that we still need It's just 100. We need you. And whether it is in a classroom with kids or working with uh, desserts and snacks, whatever that may be, we need you to get involved. There is a luncheon right after church today in the Potter's house upstairs, second floor in the kids' wing over there. But you're more than welcome to come. We have plenty of food. You can come sign up and eat lunch with us or you can just sign up and say, hey, Give me a call, let me know what I can do. Or you can sign up for specifically. If you want to work with the cookies, <laughs> then sign up for the cookies. We'd be glad to have you. Alright, Harlan. Did I miss anything? <laughs> Harlan! No, you <I'm> have a pony! <laughs> what? what, what? Alright, did I miss anything? Have I covered it all?
3: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Say, you're the new fella, aren't you? Yes, I am. Woo. Where are you from? Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee! woo Good to see you wearing shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. Tennessee, let me ask you, red or green on possum? <laughs> I had
2: Christmas on the side just the other day.
3: <laughs> All right, so Harlan, where are you from? Me? I'm from Roanoke, Virginia, class of 61. Go Gerritol! <laughs> You know, you know, uh, Mr. Tennessee there, we had, a, uh, we had a big fella in my class when I was in high school. He was always, uh, uh, what was he doing, L- slapping himself in the forehead with his tongue and trying to make his coat move by itself. And I heard that he blowed himself up blowing up beaver dams. I <laughs> what happened to him. Hmm. Alright, well
2: maybe we'll see him this afternoon. As we said, about a hundred people we still need to sign up. We'd love to have you. It's going to be a lot of fun, as much fun as for the adults as it is for the kids as we're teaching them about the Lord. So we'll see you this afternoon if you can make it. If not, sign up and we'll get back to you. Thanks.
0: Just turned 11 years old this week, and um, when that song came out, uh, she was two and a half years old, and she was sitting in the back seat in her car seat, and um, and wasn't able to catch all the words. But we started hearing out of the back seat the word that, that, <laughs> that, that. She would catch that word, and that's the one that at two and a half years old, she was still you know offering her her praise to the Lord in the best way she could, just one word at a time, but let everything that that hath breath, praise the Lord. Um, Isn't it marvelous that God has created us to worship Him and to know Him and let that response to who He is fuel our love and our devotion to walk in a life of worship to Him. He is all that we need. He is life to us. And as we sing this next song, we're reminded that it's Christ who is in us is the gospel. that He desires to live his life in and through us to be our strength, to be our peace, to be our life. He is all that we need. Let's sing to his great name.
5: my strength.
0: his death for us
1: Would you be seated and would you just bow your heads with me? And would you begin to think back now of what you've just sung? The most beautiful words, doctrinal words that we have just sung today, particularly just these last one, this last song. Think through. It's in Christ alone which we stand. He is our joy. He is everything. He is the love we're looking for. He is the peace that the world cannot provide. He is everything we're looking for. He's the joy. I want you right now to draw a circle around yourself and just enter into the presence of God and just tell him what you think this morning. Just talk to him, praise him in the quietness of these moments. Ask him if there's anything in your life this morning that might be grieving or quenching his spirit. You know, David prayed. He said, Lord, I've, you've searched me. Search me again. Ask the Lord to show you if there's anything that's amiss, if there's something that's not right. And remember, confession is agreeing with God of what the flesh cannot do. And remember that repentance is not promising to do better. It's Christ overcoming you. Victory's never you overcoming sin. Victory's Jesus overcoming you. We don't look at the sin, we look at the Savior. He's the one who reveals the sin, but we look back at the Savior. And so just let him minister to you personally for a moment or two. We're preparing our hearts to give this morning. I want you to just ask the Lord right now. If we understand lordship, he owns it all. So just ask him right now, Lord, what would be th- that which you would want me to give this morning, that which would bless you? And remember, anything he tells you, he lives in you to enable. So just spend a moment or two and ask him, Lord, what do you want me to give this morning of that which you own, which you've just loaned to me? Father, we just thank you so much for the way in which you've just encouraged our hearts by the wonderful, wonderful praise time that we've had today. Thank you for the awesome truths that we have sung that have so blessed us about who you are and whose we are. And Father, we just pray right now that you'd be honored, that you'd be blessed by what's given today. You've given it all to us, but Lord, may we just express our worship. We've expressed it in song. We want to express it in our giving. We want to express it in the way we live. And so, Lord, may you be honored and blessed and glorified by what's given today. And we'll give you all of the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father, as we learn to trust you and yield to you, that Father, then you, uh, through the power of the the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, manifest your life and your light and your love through us. Father, as we come to the Word today, thank you that we don't have to ever, as believers, stand before you at the judgment of the sin, for our sin was judged at the cross. But Father, help us to understand that, Lord, Belief is so important that, Lord, that is the work. May we always be found trusting and believing in you no matter what goes on in our life. Encourage us, Father, with your character today and the word. Speak to me, speak through me. And, Lord, teach me as I seek to teach others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, would you turn with me this morning to the book of Jude? The book of Jude. If you're having trouble finding it, go to Revelation and take a left. (laughs) It's not very far. The book of Jude, we're going to be looking today at verses 5 through 7. Some tough, tough verses. Our series is entitled Snakes Around the Water. As we are going to see that the false teachers prey on people who will not go into the depths of God's Word. Today we're going to be talking about here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Now listen, understand something. He's encouraging these believers that he's writing to he's not in any way rep- reprimanding them. Remember, he calls them beloved, and he's, he's trying to seek to encourage them that no matter what they go through, God is faithful, his character is impeccable, and he is in control. He will do what he says he's going to do. Now, there are a lot of folks today, and it has been for every generation, who love to talk about the judgment of God. For whatever reason, they act like that they are somehow his representative and they're on this earth to help him carry out his judgment. I keep telling them that there's no vacancy in the Trinity. <laughs> now their, their application has been turned down. But that usually doesn't go over so well. Jude, however, today is going to tell us exactly who the judge is. There is a God and we need to learn that we're not him. Today we'll learn that his judgment is, ju- is as just and as swift as it is certain, and you can count on it. Uh, In verses 1 and 2, Jude has made sure that they understand that in Christ they are secure and that they're stable. And then after showing them the characteristics of the false teachers, and really just begins to show them, there's many more he'll bring out in in this epistle. But he, he even tells them that they're right in the midst of you in verse 3 and 4, and he tells them that these false teachers are... Headed towards a judgment that has been signed and sealed long before they ever came on the scene. God, God already knew that they would be there. Well, what he does now, he assures them that this judgment of these false teachers. Now, remember, these false teachers are not believers. They are not some believer who's just simply deceived in a wrong doctrine. These are not believers. They are unholy people, and they get into the church. They know how to dupe a lot of people, and they're able to to get in, and they try to shipwreck their faith. But he lets them know that these false teachers will be judged, and he tries to assure them by, by pointing to several judgments that God has already brought about. He's going to basically give them three examples. Now, remember in 2 Peter, he talks about the false teachers. And and by the way, 2 Peter and Jude are almost identical. And he talks about how the false teachers downplay judgment. There's not going to be a judgment. Are you kidding me? They conveniently overlook the flood. They conveniently overlook certain judgments. Three of them that he'll bring out in our text. He begins in verse 5. He says, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once, for all. Now, that little word remind, the word Ipo minnesco, means to remind. But much more than just to remind. I mean, all of us need to be reminded from time to time. But it means, more importantly, to put something back on your mind. Something that you already knew needs to be back into your mind, needs to be back into the focus of your life. Isn't it interesting that how we're, when we're in the midst of difficult times, as these believers were, we tend to forget that which will hold us up. We tend to forget that which we already know. And so what Jude is doing to encourage them is to assure them that yes, God will judge these people. Yes, he is control. Yes, you are secure. Yes, you are stable. And God will do that. And he brings out these three judgments that they already know about. He wants to put back on their mind the faithfulness and stability of God. He says, now I desire to remind you though you know all things once for all. The word know there is the word either, and it's a word that means, yes, you know about them. But that's not what he's really talking about. They could have heard a story growing up in church. They could, somebody could have told them. That's not what he's talking about. He says the word "eva" means you know it. Yes, you know it, but you fully grasp it. You fully understand these judgments. You understand why they came about, and you understand the character of God to bring them about jew says that these believers he's writing to knew something that needs to be put back on their mind back into their focus and that'll help them keep their feet on the ground as they go through this difficult time he uses the perfect active participle there which means they knew because of events that had been recorded historically had taken place they knew all things once for all anytime you see the term all things that's that's relative to the context that mean they don't know everything but they know all things concerning what he's about to tell them. It refers to the judgments of God and the character of God to bring about that judgment. Now Jude mentions three judgments that they all needed to put back on their minds. And to understand. And they knew, they already knew, this is just something he's reminding them of. Uh, all three judgments have to do with unbelief. Now this is interesting. You say, can a believer be full of unbelief? No, we've already believed. Believe means to bow down before. it. Yes, we can be found not believing in that sense of the word, but but not like these. This is an unwillingness to ever bow before God. Belief is not just knowing something in your head. It's not being willing to bow down to it. It's not being willing to allow it to change your life. So all of this had to do with unbelief. Unbelief is the root of all disobedience. When you and I disobey or anybody disobeys, it's the root of it is unbelief. And then one's, one's re, disobedience is reflected in his rebellion and his rejection of that which God says about who he is and his will for one's life. And so a person who they're, they're talking about here, false teachers that don't know God. And the unbelief is a huge subject because they're never willing to bow down. For you and I, we have bowed down. So make sure you you draw that balance as we walk through this. He doesn't want them to be found not believing, but not in the sense of these false teachers. We can be in a sense of our life going through a tragedy, and there's a huge mountain standing in front of us, but we're not willing to believe God that he'll carry us through whatever it is that he's doing. Well, there are three judgments. Now, hang on to this because it's supposed to encourage these believers. Hopefully, it will encourage us today. First of all, he reminds them that God judges unbelief. And he starts off by saying, God is no respecter of persons, basically what he's saying. He judged his own people. God judged Israel for their unbelief. And look what he says in verse 5. The Lord, after saving out of the land of Egypt subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Now the word saving there is the word sozo, and it means he delivered them. He delivered them from Pharaoh. He delivered them from their captivity. He preserved them from the impending danger that was continuing ahead of them. He refers back to when God delivered Israel from their Egyptian captors. That the Lord, after saving a people out of the land, of Egypt. Now you remember they were in the land of Egypt for 430 years. There was a famine in the land and they went over into Egypt. 30 years they were okay. There was a good Pharaoh. Then another Pharaoh came on and they had multiplied so fast he became afraid of them and put them into a Hebrew slave camp for 400 years. And so Jude reminds them of what once God had done to deliver Israel. But here's what happened. Israel turned right around and chose not to believe him and refused to go into the land that he'd already given to them. So Jude says, the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. The word subsequently is the Greek word "thuderos" and means secondly. In other words, something follows something else. The event of his delivering them was followed by his judging them. God first delivered Israel from Egypt, but when Israel disobeyed and chose to disobey God and not to go into the land, he promised them, he, God destroyed not all of Israel, but a whole generation. And only Joshua and Caleb were left. After delivering Israel, subsequently, secondly, he destroyed a people. Now the word destroyed is the word apolumi, And it means to wholly destroy something, a whole generation. You remember the story. Joshua and Caleb and the spies went over into the land. They came back with different reports. Joshua and Caleb said, well, this is going to be a piece of cake. God goes before us. He's already promised us victory. But the other spies said, oh, no. (laughs) He said, we can't handle it. There are giants in the land. And Joshua and Caleb kept trying to say, no, don't pay attention to these other spies. Pay attention to what we're saying. God has promised this. We just need to believe him and go over. But the people together made a majority decision, and they chose not to obey God. And as a result of that, a whole generation died in the wilderness. Now, what Jude is saying to them here is is to go back, put back into your memory Yes, God has judged. God always deals with unbelief. And even though he saved the people, he destroyed a generation. Not all the people, but a generation because of their unbelief. He's not a respecter of people. He's a respecter of belief and of faith. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16 through 19 is a wonderful passage. And it just tells this whole story. It says in verse 16 of Hebrews 3, For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt, led by Moses, he's answering his own question, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were able, not able to enter because of unbelief. So the people that are false teachers in their midst are guilty of unbelief. And what he's trying to assure the hearts of the believers is, God knows this, and God has an assigned and a judgment to them, and he is the judge, and he will bring it about. Just like he judged his own people. But the second illustration he gives, now they knew this, he's putting it back into their minds to to understand the character of God. Secondly, God judges when he chooses to judge. You know, I've heard somebody say a long time ago, God is slow, but he's never late. He's never on our time schedule. He does it when he chooses to do it. You see, sometimes when things get hard, that's when those self-appointed judges step out and say, well, if I were God, I would do it now. God does it when he gets good and ready. Verse 6, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of of the great day and angels who did not keep their own domain the word domain are key our key is the word that refers to their original position their high dignity that they held before this took place the word keep in the phrase they did not keep is the word tereo which means they didn't guard that they didn't respect it they didn't treat it as 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 something to be watched over with care Instead, they transgressed the limits of the abode that God had given to them. And they came to invade territory which was foreign to them, which is earth and people on this earth, the human race. Jude says they abandoned their proper abode. The word "abandon" is the word apolipo, which means they just turned and left it behind. Just walked away from it. You can say, how could they walk away from heaven? It's in the aorist active sense. Now, this is important. Arist active means nobody made them do it. This was their own rebellion towards God. And they chose of their own accord to leave that particular abode that God had given to them. Now, this obviously had to do when Satan, with when Satan and chose to rebel against God. And they joined him in that rebellion, obviously. Peter describes this event in his epistle In 2 Peter 2.4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned. But cast them into hell. And committed them to pits of darkness. Reserved for judgment. You see Jewish theology. At this time. Held that some of the fallen angels. That had rebelled with Satan. Demons. Were held in chains. But it also held to the fact. That there were other fallen angels. That were free to oppress people. That were, were not yet in those chains. Well. That's what they understood at that time. Jude compares the sin of these angels that are freed with the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was immorality in verse 7. Now, whatever sin he's talking about, whatever they did when they left their abode and came here, compares with Sodom and Gomorrah, and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was immorality. Therefore, the sin of the angels in verse 6 seems to be that of immorality. Now, the only way we can get into this to begin to get an understanding is to go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis seems to describe this event as the time when these angels, after leaving their abode in heaven, came to earth and either took on bodies or became flesh, or they invaded flesh and took over someone, and they co-inhabited with the women down here, producing a terrible race of people. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. You think about some difficult scriptures we're wading through right now. I want you to know that I'm walking as if I'm tiptoeing on tulips here. In verses 1 through 4. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God... What Now who are they? Every time that phrase is used in the Old Testament, it refers to the angels. Go back and study the book of Job. When the sons of God came before God in heaven... Man does not do that. Jesus was the first man to go into heaven. So, as the sons of God, we saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, and that's mentioned in chapter 6, but it's also mentioned after the flood. They're too evidently, and we cannot rest our case on this but there seems to be two types of Nephilim one we're, we're the we're, they think will be the offspring of this illicit relationship which was destroyed in the flood and then afterwards you have the mighty men the men of renown it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and after, also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown Now, whatever view you land on and however you choose to interpret that, the point is that Jude's readers, the believers he's writing to, apparently totally understood the implication that if God did not spare his own angels but judged them, then neither would he spare these false teachers. That was his point. You don't want to get hung up in in this or that when you try to decide vague truth. But you want to make sure the main thing is the plain thing. And that is they understood, buddy. He did not spare his own people, but judge them. He did not spare his own angels, but judge them. God is a righteous judge. And he does not want anyone to walk in unbelief. In verse 6 again, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. The word proper there. Proper abode is the word ethios, And and the reason I bring it out, it's a beautiful word. It means their own individual, unique, private place to dwell. Can you imagine? And the word abode is in the phrase, is the word ecterion, which means their own dwelling place. Heaven was the unique and private dwelling place for the angels. But these rebellious angels abandoned heaven. Now Jude adds that God has kept these angels since that time in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. The words eternal bonds uses the word idios and means time without end, eternal bonds. And the word darkness there is zophos and refers to something that is so thickly dark. It's like foggy weather or smoke. I'm a real romantic. And when I took Diane on our honeymoon, our honeymoon <laughs> I took her to Mammoth Cave. That's a real romantic place up there. And one day we decided to go into the cave and just see what it was like. And this was a day that all the elementary school children came to, to also see the cave. And it was a bad choice. But we got down to the very bottom. And these kids, I mean, they, they were just very excited. And he said, I'm going to show you what real darkness is. I thought, oh, good grief. Everybody knows what darkness is. Oh, no, 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 no. We haven't got a clue. He turned out his flashlight, which nobody else, none of us had lights. Then he turned off the lights that were running down the wall, the electrical lights. And, and at, at the moment he turned all of the light off, the darkness was so thick. Now, if you can believe me if you want to, but it's true. It was painful to my eyes. It was so dark, it was painful to my eyes. That's exactly the word that he uses here. Pitch black. This abode is the prison house of these fallen angels. How come he hadn't judged them yet? He judged judged Israel. How come he hasn't judged them yet? No, no, no. He judges when he gets good and ready to judge. This means that they have been locked up, so to speak, since they've rebelled in a terrible place of absolute darkness, awaiting their sentence to be carried out. And it will be carried out. They're being kept for the judgment of the great day, it says. The great day is the great white throne judgment. So we've learned something, that God judges unbelief. And and he's trying to say to these believers that are beleaguered by all the false teachers, hang in there, man, hang in there. It's going to be all right. You're secure. You're stable. Now listen, God will do what he says he's going to do. I know the times are tough. I know that people are falling into this tough doctrine. I know that. But listen, God's in control. And God will bring about a judgment that they don't even know is coming, but he'll bring it out when he chooses to bring it. He, he judges the unbelief, but he judges when he chooses and gets ready. Then thirdly, God's judgment is eternal. God's judgment is eternal. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, verse 7 says, since they, in the same way as these, and, he, and he's talking about the angels, indulged in gross immorality... And when after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Ooh, what a powerful verse. Let's back up a little bit. Just as is that little word, hosts. And hosts is an adverb of comparison. In other words, he just talked about the angels. He said, now let me show you something the same way. I'm going to compare these two because they did the same thing. Just as. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. Now the word immorality there, gross immorality, is interesting. It's not the word porneo, which you normally would think it would be. It's the word ek pornevo, and the word means not just to be immoral, but to give yourself totally to that immorality and allow it to take you to a depraved condition. It's much more than just being in immorality. It's giving yourself to it, and then it t- t- takes over you. It's a master of you, and it takes you to where you don't want to go. The word strange, when it says the gross immorality and went after strange flesh, is the word heteros, which means flesh of a different kind, of a different nature. To give yourselves entirely to gross immorality, which leads to a depraved state, to go against the true nature of one's flesh. Now the immoral sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them was giving themselves to that which was unnatural to the flesh, to their flesh. You know, we live in a day when you can't be, you have to be politically correct in everything that you say. I'm just glad I'll be 65 in July because they'd probably have me in jail the rest of my life where this thing's over and said and done with. You know, you can't say what it's really saying that that's homosexuality. You can't say that. Oh, no, don't say that, Wayne. Well, I just did. And it's, it's interesting. I didn't write the Bible. You see, people don't have a problem with me, they have a problem with the Bible. You teach the Word, and they're coming after you because they got a problem with God. Why? Because of unbelief. They're not about to bow before Him. And because of unbelief, you've got disobedience because of disobedience you've got rebellion because you've got rebellion you've got rejection and people don't seem to understand that immorality once you're given to it will take you to a depraved condition same sin as romans 1.27. does god love homosexuals absolutely good grief i wish people could hear that does he hate the sin of homosexuality with a passion and we need to understand that because it's the condition of a depraved place to be that got there because of unbelief. Look and listen to Romans 1.17. Now you think what I'm saying. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, you figure it out. I didn't write it. I'm doing the best I can do to try to help you understand God judges that type of thing. Just like he judged the angels, just like he judged Israel, he he judged Sodom and Gomorrah for the depraved conditions they were in. Verse 7 again. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. Now, here's what he says. They're exhibited, he says, as an example in understanding or undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. You want to understand why people go to the punishment of eternal fire? It's because of unbelief, an unwillingness to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior, an unwillingness to bow before God, who who are disobedient. These false teachers are the epitome of them, and who rebel and reject God's Word and end up in depraved situations. And they're they're going to undergo the punishment of eternal fire. Or exhibited is the word prokime. And it means, hey guys, come here. I've got something to show you. Now, if you want to understand this, then understand this. And he puts it in front of them so that they can all understand. And he says, here's an example of the future suffering at God's judgment. He says, undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. The word for punishment is interesting. What do you think of when you think of punishment? I think of my mother when I was growing up. <laughs> and she, she, she made me go cut the switch. And I would. And I'd find the smallest thing I could find. And then she'd cut the tree down and beat me with a tree. I'd have been seven foot if I'd have behaved myself. When I think of punishment, I think of being denied something. I think of being hurt or whatever. But the word punishment is an interesting word. It's the word viki, D-I-K-E. It means righteous. And what he's saying is a righteous standard has been broken. Now, what does that also implicate? It implicates the fact that since a righteous standard was broken, only a righteous judge can bring about the sentence. That's the idea of that word for punishment. It's not what we think of punishment. It's a just do. In other words, he repays justly as to what is owed. That punishment is, in, as Jude says, eternal fire. Now, the word eternal is the word Ionios. And some people say that's not eternal, Wayne. It didn't come to mean eternal until a certain time. That's ridiculous. First of all, it's the word meaning eternal God. Does he ever change? No. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, eternally. He doesn't change. He's the same. Ionios does refer to time, but it's time without an end. You say, well, it has a beginning. Yeah. The punishment starts, but it doesn't have an end. And so in, in this particular context, otherwise it would mean it's never, it's just forever. It has always been, always will be. It's that, it's that word that indicates a period of time that has no end. There's no period at the end of the sentence. It continues to go on and on and on. Eternal fire. So Jude has brought back to mind three judgments. And he's saying, listen, guys, you already know this. You already understand this. Now, get your minds back where it ought to be. I know you're going through a tough time. I know people are falling into this false doctrine. I know that you're having to deal with this, but at the same time, understand you're stable, you're secure, God's in control, and God's going to judge these people. He's already assigned their judgment to them. Well, it hasn't happened yet. And, they, and Jude would say, Yeah, I know, but it'll happen when God gets good and ready to bring it about. You see, this is so helpful when you go through tough times. You look at our nation right now. <laughs> Whew. Again, I'm glad I'm at this particular end of my life. I, I, I pray for my grandchildren and my children for what they're going to face in the years to come. And you wonder, is anybody in control? And God shouts back and says, absolutely. I've never been out of control. Nothing's been out of control. It's not falling apart. It's coming together. Well, I don't see. Well, I didn't ask your opinion. It's amazing. If God would just ask us, we can help him out. I don't see your hand anywhere. What about the the what about the the tragedies that are happening in countries? Hey, where's God? Oh, he's there. And he's in control and will do exactly what he says he's going to do. Now, when you go through a tough time, get this back in your head. Know who's in control, put your focus back where it ought to be, and know that he's faithful to do what he says he's going to do. That's what he's trying to tell the believers here. He's not remanding them. He's not trying to scare them for judgment. They don't have to worry about judgment. Their sin was judged at the cross. His judgments will be against unbelief. They'll, be a, they'll come about when he decides they'll come about. Some quickly, some will not. And they will be eternal. They will be forever because he's an eternal God who brings them about. You know, if you had a law and nobody ever enforced it, then the law is just going out the window. When I first came here, I didn't know that, <laughs> that there's a shortcut from where I live that you can come down... Spain, and you can come over to Juan de Boa, and you can take a, go west or south, go south, and then cut on Leighton and come right to the church. I've been coming down Academy all that time, and so somebody told me about it one day, and I said, that's great. So I cut down through Leighton. You know where Leighton is? The wind tour is right over here and runs into Leighton. And I came down through Leighton. So the only thing the difference is, it's 40 miles an hour speed limit on Academy, which is hard enough when you're going downhill, and now they have signs to tell you how fast you're going, so it makes you really convicted. But I cut through Leighton 25 miles an hour. I didn't pay any attention to the sign. What does a sign mean? Nothing. I'm just driving down and I 40 miles an hour. And I came around the curve and there he stood. Big badge. Big badge. And as I came around the curve, he, he had this little gun. He said You know, it was nothing that I had to understand. I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I pulled my car over and he walked up and wanted to see my driver's license. And I showed it to him. He said, Mr. Barber, you probably have no idea how fast you were driving. And I said, You're exactly right. How fast was I driving? You're doing 40 miles an hour, 25 miles on. I said, Thank God. He said, What do you mean, thank God? I said, I could have been doing 60. <laughs> he looked at me for a second and he wanted to smile, but he didn't. But he looked at me and he said, I recognize you. Are you on television? I wanted to say, yeah, the Saturday morning car- cartoon hour, I show up. I said, yeah, I'm on television. He said, you're the pastor at Hoffman Church. And I said, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I am. A, you just caught me doing 15 miles over the speed limit. And you already said, I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know if that was good or that was bad. And he was already writing my ticket out. And he said, you know what? I watch you every Sunday morning. And I want to tell you, God really speaks to my heart. Tell you what. Took the ticket, tore it up, and I'm thinking, woohoo, thank you, God. And he said, I'm just gonna let you go with a warning. And I, boy, I just, I didn't even ride over here. I floated. But you know what happened? Every time I drive down Layton now, what do you think is the speed limit that I drive? Because you know what? I found out that it was gonna be enforced. What is he saying to the believers? You better believe what God says. And you better live your life accordingly. Because what God says will come about is going to come about. Now let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. And you watch the flow. Go ahead and read ahead of me. He gets on down. He starts telling them exactly how they're supposed to walk. Now yes, the false speech of that. You're secure. You're stable. Yes. But you don't go sit under a tree and go to sleep. You start living it out. You let Jesus be Jesus in your life. Walk in that security. Walk in that stability. And trust him to do exactly what he says he's going to do. Don't you dare be discouraged, you, you believers that Jude's writing to. He said, you be encouraged. God's in control. And God will do what he says he's going to do. You know what? We may need to repreach this message. (laughs) I always get in trouble. Diana says, when I shut my Bible and I'm still talking, she's scared to death. (laughs) We may need to repreach this in 2009. And you can fill in the blanks from that point on. Our country's falling apart. No, it's not. And you better believe, no matter how bad it ever gets, you better believe. We stand in the security we have in Christ, the ability we have in Christ, and we stand believing that who he is and what he says is exactly right and is impeccable. And that's how you get through life. That's how you make it. And that's what he's trying to tell these believers. It's a precious message of grace. Would you stand with me if your heads bowed, eyes closed? Maybe you're here this morning, as our praise group is going to be here in just a moment, but maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as the Lord of your life. You've never bowed and you're going to stand in judgment one day, which God says is coming, and you will stand without the righteous garment of Christ. You will stand and you will be judged and your judgment will be a just judgment forever. And maybe you'd like to come this morning, God's quickening to your heart the seriousness of what Christianity is. And maybe God's leading you to step forward. This is, even as I'm talking, come straight toward me and go to my right and your left. There are people there that would love to encourage you and pray with you. Maybe you could leave today knowing that you never have to fear the judgment we just talked about for these people. Or maybe this morning you're here and you are a believer and you've been kind of thinking about joining here and you'd like to know how and If you'll go that same place, they'll explain that to you. Remember, this is just a piece of the body of Christ. This isn't the whole body of Christ. Many wonderful churches in this area. But maybe God's leading you here. But maybe you're here this morning and your life right now is really, even though you are a believer, it just depicts unbelief in so many areas of your life. You're just not willing to trust God and do what he tells you to do. And maybe you just need to come to the altar this morning and say, Oh, God, I know my security's in Christ. I know my stability is in Christ. I'm just coming back to where I need to be this morning. Confess some things to you and deal with some things in this service. Maybe you want to come and pray for somebody. Nobody will bother you down here. This is just between you and God if you'd like to come. As the, as the praise group leads us, let God encourage your heart that he is in control. He's the God who moves mountains, as we sung earlier. He's the Savior, the one who delivers. So remember, He's in control no matter how tough life gets. Remember, stand on the character of God, which is impeccable. And let Him speak to you even now as they sing. Thank you, Father, for just reassuring our hearts, even in this song, we could search for all of eternity. There's none like you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join hands together? Reach over and grab your neighbor by the hand, and let's just sing this song again, but let that be our prayer as we leave today. Would you do that? God's people said, hey, I love you, but more important, God loves you. See you next time. Thank you for coming.